Uh, we finished Revelation. We went right into John because John's the author of the two. But now we're going to go back in the, at the beginning of the New Testament and Matthew and then Mark and then Luke and then right into Acts, uh, I believe. So it's going to take us a while to get there. But the Gospels are like home central for, for us because that's the very life of Christ. And, you know, of all the things that we can read in the Bible, knowing who Jesus is and his example is extremely important as we live our life today because we need to see that example. We need to know what Jesus expects of us and we need to ask him to fill us by his Holy Spirit because I can't and you can't do this alone. We need the Spirit of God in us to work in and through our lives in the, in, in the days that we live in, especially today as things are getting very, very dark and things are getting really, really interesting. And I find it a privilege, honestly, to live at this time in history. It hasn't been easy at all. It's, bro- it's broken my heart in a million pieces, to be honest with you. But to just see the Bible and the things that have been written hundreds of years, even a few thousand years ago, are literally coming to pass before our eyes. And there's no way that anyone could make that happen. But we, we serve a God who is outside of time, who can tell the end from the beginning, who sees all things because he's omniscient and omnipresent. And he can tell us in advance these things. And what a privilege it is, isn't it? Think about it. You and I know the big picture. Most people don't know the big picture, and therefore they're scared, they're frightened, and for good reason. The world is coming apart at its it seams. And yet you and I, if we're students of the Word of God, if we understand Bible prophecy, and we, we've been looking at that for quite a while, we see that these things are coming to pass literally as Jesus has told us. And to me, that's the greatest boost of faith and encouragement that I can imagine is just to know that everything is right on time and God is not in a hurry. He's not uh, freaking out like we might be. But let's grow in our trust of Christ and grow in trust of his word that as we see these things and we know they're coming, help us to maintain our composure and maintain our sight, our vision, and it needs to be on Christ and nothing else. If you do that, you will do well and the world around you will marvel and hopefully they'll come to see the same Christ that you and I serve and will see soon. So let's open our Bibles again. Let's look at the first, uh, just the first 14 verses. I want to read it, and then we'll get right into it, okay? Notice it says that um, after these things, and, and these things that it's speaking of, is after, after Jesus had uh, visited his disciples, remember it was the very day after the resurrection that Jesus revealed himself in the evening to them in an upper room, While the door was shut and he appeared before them in physical form and they saw him and they were naturally very frightened. And then eight days later, we know that finally the same group of men plus Thomas was present. And so on the eighth day after his resurrection, he appears before them again. It was the second time that he did that. And now as we look at chapter 21, and so it was after those things, after those things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And notice that Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered and said, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. Not a very good idea. I just want to share... um, Uh, He plunged in the sea, but the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. 
And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. After he was raised from the dead. Now, it's interesting, this chapter has often been called by some an epilogue, if you will, to the Gospel of John. And some believe that it may, uh, this chapter may have been added by John or even one of the disciples after the fact. And, you know, if we look at the very last two verses of John chapter 20, it, it, it could end. It could have ended on that, uh, those last two verses, because it sounds very final. It says, And truly Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things... And this is the theme of the whole entire gospel. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. You might have life through his name. Now, it could have ended at the end of chapter 20, but we would have missed out on at least six important things. And these are just things that I, as I was reading this final chapter myself, I was thinking, you know, if... If, if this was absent, which it, it never was, it was always part of the gospel. It, it was never a separate piece, okay? It was always together, always. But if this gospel was uh, an epilogue then, and it wasn't part of it, then we would be missing not only this third visitation of Jesus with his disciples, we would be missing out on the humanity of the disciples. And we'll look at that this morning. And certainly we would miss Jesus' restoration or recommissioning of Peter after he had denied him three times, remember. And so Peter was very sorrowful, very ashamed, I believe. We would have missed this restoration of Peter. And we would also miss Peter's growth on display. And we'll look at that as well. And also the prophecy of Peter's death and the rumor that was starting to spread based on what Jesus had said. And ultimately... We find out who the real author of this gospel is. Of course, we know who it is, but everyone can be silenced now about who the author is because it tells us definitively at the end of this chapter, which we will look at. But notice, let's go back to verse 1. Notice this third visitation. It says, after these things, metatauta, remember that in, in the book of Revelation? John uses this phrase often, after these things. He said it in John, uh, Revelation chapter 4, right? After the church age was finished, he said metatauta, after these things. And then the church was caught up into glory. But he says, Metatauta, after these things, Jesus, notice, showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And so these three appearances of Jesus, uh, we can see them. The first one was in John chapter 20, verse 19, the night of his resurrection. And certainly in verse 26, we saw that he appeared to his disciples eight days following. And now here, the third time, he appears to his disciples. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't wait. <laughs> you know, he didn't wait for the resurrection, meaning the resurrection of the believers, the rapture of the church. He, as soon as he was resurrected, he made sure that there was ample proof of his resurrection. And there is, there's ample proof. Many people saw him after his resurrection. Even 500 at once, the Peter saw him, Mary Magdalene, all the disciples saw him. Many other people saw him as well. And he showed himself again to the disciples. And this word showed is, is a Greek word, phanero, and basically it means to make manifest or visible or known what was hidden or unknown. And so here Jesus is in his resurrection body ministering to them as uh, before he would ascend into heaven on the 40th day after his resurrection. And notice that it was at the Sea of Tiberias and uh, for those of you who are not familiar, this uh, is a picture, a satellite photo of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And uh, it's called the Sea of Galilee. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias because over there on the uh, western shore, there you can see is the city of Tiberias, named after Caesar, uh, Caesar, Tiberius, Caesar. And, but it's also called Lake Gennesaret. It's also called Chinnereth, which is a, a word that means harp because the lake itself is shaped like a harp. 
and so it was called Lake Chinnereth. And so this is where this occurs. Again, it's away from all the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem because remember, the disciples were down there around the time of the Passover. Passover has come and gone, and now they are getting away from all the noise and, uh, and the, the persecution of Jerusalem. Jesus tells them to meet him up in Galilee, which is where this area is. And off to the left-hand side, over on the west bank, you can see Ginnasar. And this is a place that we visit when we go to Israel, and it's a wonderful place. It's actually one of my favorite places on the planet, one of my favorite places. And I love the, 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 the deck or the, the, the pier that goes off, and, and you can look over to Tiberias at night and see the lights, and it's beautiful, and you can hear the sounds of the crickets and the unique animals that are indigenous to that area. I can hear it in my head one night. I was out there just, uh, and I, I, this is a rabbit trail, um, but just being out there and just hearing all the different creatures out there and then the mountains very close by and just hearing all these strange animals that I've never heard before and hearing the water lapping on the shore and, and just, it was just a beautiful thing. But this is where it is. And yes, it is peaceful. And no doubt Jesus wanted to bring them there. And in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which we know are Peter, or I'm sorry, James and John, and two other disciples who are unnamed. So we have seven of the disciples, seven of the eleven. We don't know where the other four had, or had been. But I love the humanity of what we see in verse 3 because it, uh, it encourages me. Because notice, Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they said, we are going with you also. And so they get into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. And I'm glad that this is here in the Gospels because it encourages me. Because I realize that these men were normal men. And, you know, there were no women, ladies, sorry, among them. But they were normal men like we all are, were normal people. They weren't superheroes, but they grew in their walk with Jesus just as we are growing in our walk with him as well. Don't be discouraged for the day of small beginnings. Don't be discouraged by the little baby steps that you make, the little acts of obedience. Don't be dismayed by any of that stuff. Take those little steps and let them build and build and build. And you know what? It's the slow tortoise that wins the race. We don't have to be the, the guy on fire with our hair flying back like the Maxell commercial back in the 80s. No, we don't have to be that. We, we can just take it slow and steady and just allow the Lord to work in our lives. And that's really important because we live in a high-paced society. Just take your time and enjoy the sanctification. Because Christ is sanctifying you and I day by day. And so this encourages me because these guys were no different than, than us. And at this time, I believe that Peter was still wounded by what he had done. He had denied the Lord three times. He's only seen him a couple times now. And it's, it's at least a week and a half, maybe two weeks by now. And, um, and he was overcome, I believe, with grief and likely ashamed of himself, especially because he boasted of his devotion to Christ. And then Jesus predicted that he would deny him, and Peter ultimately did deny him. In spite of his boasting and his self-confidence, and how humiliating that must have been for Peter. And so I believe that Peter was despondent. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know, you know, Christ has been crucified, he's resurrected, he's shown himself a couple times now. But I don't know what to do. What am I going to do now? And so he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go. And I'm going to go fishing. And all the other disciples were like, hey, we'll follow you. Peter was the leader. And he says, I'm, I, I got to go fishing. That's all I know how to do. And you know, setbacks and discouragements are often enemies of faith. Don't let it be, but it can be. And we tend to get fatalistic. Do you tend to get fatalistic and tempted to throw in the towel when things aren't really going your way? And maybe you're, you're getting setbacks. Maybe there's difficulties in your life. Maybe you're struggling with some area of sin and you're thinking, I'm never going to get a handle on this thing. Lord, I'm at the edge. I'm about ready to throw in the towel. I would encourage you to not to throw in the towel. Because sometimes the Lord gets us right to the edge. And he does something really wonderful. And we're going to see that today as well. So I really appreciate the realness of this passage. Because without Jesus, they were aimless. They were confused. They were like a ship without a rudder. They were like a boat out in the ocean without an anchor. And have you ever felt worthless and useless and beyond repair? Have you felt that way? 
I have. Have you felt like giving up, feeling like the walls of your life are all crumbling down around you? And then you say, what's the use of me even continuing in this relationship with Jesus? Well, I've felt the same way. And I think it is to be human to feel that way. Unfortunately, that's just human. We all go through difficulties. We all go through problems, but we cannot give up. At our lowest ebb, when the, that, that's usually when the Lord comes in and swoops in and encourages us and renews us, and we're going to see that today. So don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't waver in faith. Trust in the Lord and wait upon him. And waiting is something we Americans don't do very well. We want it right now. We want it our way right away. We don't want to wait for anything And yet, isn't it true that the greatest things in life that we've had to wait for, those are the greatest blessings? The things that really caused you to wait. Things that you've had to save for before you could actually take possession of. Things that took a long time. You've been praying for years and years and years, and you've been building up, and it's like, oh, Lord, what? And then finally, it comes through, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And then you're just excited. And God is excited too. He's like, you know what? I heard every single one of those prayers. And right now, I'm going to bring them to fruition. Right now, I'm going to do this thing in your life that you've always wanted, that you've desired, that I've desired. But I've had to bring you through some things. I've had to grow you in some ways. And there's no way around it. There's no cliff's notes to life. There's no way to circumvent things to get us to closer to Christ. I find that getting closer to him, I find I, I usually have to be broken more and that things in my life have to be falling apart. Because when things are going well, I don't seek him as much. But when my life is in shambles, that's usually when I cry out to him. Can anyone relate to that? We do. And, that's, and, and the Lord knows this. And he's not even angry with you about it. He just He knows that's what you're made of that's your old nature and thank god hopefully all of us have a new nature the spirit of god indwelling us so don't give up and i love what it says in proverbs says for a righteous man will fall seven times and rise quickly but the wicked shall fall by his calamity and there's some other verses too that i love too psalm 37 though he fall he shall not be utterly cast down for the lord upholds him with his hand and as we read this restoration of peter Think of this about yourself as well. Perhaps you're in a place of needing to be restored this morning, like Peter. In Micah 7, 8, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And then the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Have you been cast down? I have been a lot. Over the last couple of years, my soul has been cast down to the ground so many times I can't even recall. But notice, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? And here's the answer, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hallelujah. (laughs) The help of his countenance. He wants to help you. God is a God of help. He's not a God of, he's not an angry God. He wants to help and bless you. But notice at the end of verse 3 there, it says they went out and they immediately caught nothing. And I don't think this was any coincidence because Peter and the others were at a place, again, of not knowing what, they, what to do. So they just did what they had done before Jesus called them. And in times of confusion, heartache, and disappointment, that's usually what we grasp for. We find familiarity and comfort in something that we've done before. And unfortunately, that is very natural. But the Lord is going to be doing something in their lives here shortly as they are out on the, on the Sea of Galilee fishing all night. And finally, they, they catch nothing until the early morning when they're probably spent, when they've probably exhausted all of their energies. And now Jesus on the shore says, hey, you guys catch anything? And they don't know who it is. They're like, who are you? No, we didn't catch anything. Why don't you cast the net over on the other side? Notice I, I made sure to pronounce net, singular. Cast the net on the other side of the boat. <laughs> and so they do. And we'll look at that shortly. But notice... But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't know that it was him. Again, another instance of Jesus' resurrection body being somewhat different from his natural body. And I'm looking forward to getting a new body. Are you looking forward to getting a new body? 
I'm wondering if there's an app, you know, where we could like, you know, like heaven.com or something like that. We can go and we can design our own body and then we can, we can click submit and the Lord would, you know, we'll get our order when he shows up. You know, I want to be like in my late 20s. I want to have a nice, you know, I used to have blonde hair when I was young, when I was younger and, you know, long flowing golden locks and, you know, um, you know, muscular and all that stuff. Can speak several languages. Um, the Lord's probably going to make me a donkey. He's probably going to, he's probably going to resurrect me, and I'm going to be, you know, hauling somebody's, you know, goods, you know. But notice Jesus said to them, "Children, have you any food?" And they said, "No." And 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 of course Jesus knew the answer. He doesn't ask questions to gain information. He already knows these things. Just like in, in Genesis chapter 3, when God saw you know, Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? Do you think God knew where Adam was? I think he did. But Adam didn't know where he was. Even though he, was, he knew where he was, but he really didn't know where he was. And God says, Adam, where are you? God already knew the answer, but he's waiting. He's drawing us out. And that's one of the great things about God and if you're an interrogator for a police department like Tom Vasile, that's what they do. They draw information out of you. Tom, if you're watching today, hallelujah, he's homesick. But, you know, they draw information out of you, and that's what they do. And that's what God does. He wants to hear what's in your heart. He already knows it, but he wants to see if you're willing to spill the beans. I would encourage you to spill the beans no matter how ugly they are. God has big shoulders. He can take whatever you've got to bring to him, even if it's ugly and nasty. To me, that's the freedom about you know, prayer. And my own personal prayer. I can bring all my dirty laundry to the Lord and he's not ashamed of me telling him the deepest, darkest, wickedest things of my heart and I confess them to him. He's not like, he's not like up there going, oh, I can't believe it. I thought you were really something, Rob. I guess I'm just going to have to find somebody else. No, he's like, oh, I already knew about that waiting for you to come to understand it, but I already knew about this. And by the way, I knew all of that stuff when I chose you in the beginning. Before you were formed in the womb, Robert, <clears throat> I knew you. And before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. I love, uh, you know, all these abortion debates right now, and they say, you know, this one thing in California, I can't believe it. 38 days after the baby's born, they can, they can kill the child. I mean, I'll stop there, but let me just say this. I would like to back it all the way up and say, you know what? It's even, it's even better than conception. Certainly, we begin at conception, but I would argue, based on uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, I think it's verse 3 or 5, where he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. <laughs> we have no business messing with that stuff. And he said to them, notice verse 6, cast the net, singular, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And notice, they, they didn't argue, they didn't hesitate this time. And you may be wondering, what do you mean this time? Well, we're going to get to that. They would make this huge catch of fish, but Jesus was ultimately going to make them fishers of men. And he was going to use this instance in the life of the disciples to teach them a lesson and also to restore Peter and the rest of them as well. But Jesus was going to continue and finish what he started with the disciples back in the beginning of his ministry. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus first, uh, first uh, called his disciples, it says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So instead of catching fish, which is a cause we all need fish on our on our plates every now and then right nothing wrong with being a fisherman but I have a plan for your life and it's going to change instead of catching these fish here in the Sea of Galilee I'm going to make you fishers of men I'm going to make you fishers of men and you know what there's no greater joy than bringing a person to Jesus or being a part of bringing a person to Jesus. There is no greater joy than having your sins forgiven by God. I remember the day when I was laden with in my sin, so many, so much sin in my life, and having been forgiven, I remember the weight off my shoulders. I literally felt like I could breathe again because I had been mounting up so much stuff on myself, all of my sin, and then to have confess it all to God and give it up to him. 
in a moment of severe honesty, in tears, saying, Lord, forgive me, and to have that weight lifted. Is there anything greater than that? Is there anything greater than being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? The very God, the Godhead indwelling you, not making you a God, but giving you a new nature, the Spirit of God suppressing that old nature, now the big man on the block, the ruler of your heart and life. I remember that very clearly. Is there any greater joy than not only having a hope, not only for this life, but also the resurrection to come? We've got the greatest hope. And, is there, and then knowing that we will be in the physical presence of Almighty God for eternity, is there anything greater than that? Seriously, and is there anything greater than bringing someone to Christ that they might experience the very same thing and see, church, this is what we need to get back to doing. We need to get back to doing that. Because are we actively sharing the truth of the gospel with people around us, with our family members, with our co-workers, with acquaintances? Are we still doing that? Are we still willing to do that? Or are we happy and content just to come to church and be in our holy huddle? We have to get out of this building. We have to get out of our comfort zones. We need to be about the Lord's business again. That's what we need to do. Be willing to share wherever you go. And yes, let it challenge you. Don't be afraid. You've got the best news and the greatest message the world has ever heard. And guess what? You've got the authority of God on your side and the Holy Spirit in you to aid you and to give you boldness. So let's get at it again. Let's get at it again. We've been hiding in our COVID shelters way too long. It's time to brush off the hurt and the discouragement and begin opening our hearts and our mouths again with the gospel and the truth of God's word. And you know what? The time of COVID appealed to our lower nature. You know why? Because we didn't visit with anybody. We didn't talk with many. And certainly we didn't do it in person. And, uh, and you know anybody outside of our family, we didn't do it. And we got used to it. But like a caterpillar going through its next metamorphosis, we need to come out. We need to break out of that cocoon. And our wings need to come out. We need to fly away. We need to begin sharing the truth with people again. We need to do it, folks. In Romans, Paul says this. He says, How, shouldn't they, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And what did Jesus tell us? Chronologically, after the events that we're looking at today in John chapter 21, immediately following was the Great Commission. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples, they went away into Galilee. And they're certainly there because they were uh, in the boat, and, and, and soon we'll be reading that. But the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, in which a mountain to Jesus had appointed for him. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, Notice, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. And here is the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go to all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what we are supposed to be doing. That commission to the disciples was no different than our commission today. The marching orders haven't changed. And folks, we need to get about that again. We need to get out and get out of our comfort zones and being more vocal about our faith. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of man? You know what? Who are we going to stand before in all of eternity? Don't be afraid of any man, no matter what they look like, or woman, no matter, what they, no matter their personality. Just pray that God will give you a heart and the courage to open your mouth when he wants you to open your mouth. Sometimes we should be silent. But sometimes he wants us to open our mouth, and you know that urging you get sometimes. Why, 
Why, why keep that from, you know, why stifle it? Let it out. You'd be surprised what happened. I, I've been surprised many times where I've been felt the urging to share something with somebody, and I'm like, no, Lord. I, and then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to see what happens. And I do, and they crack like an egg. Who prepared that? It wasn't me. It was God. He was going to use me, but I was like, no, can't be me. I'm kind of in a hurry, Lord. I got things to do. Oh, really, Rob? Well, who's, to whom do you belong? Well, I belong to you, but... <laughs> Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for of necessity is laid upon me. Yes, and woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And why do we do this? And you know, you think about it, for God, and this is in John chapter 3, verse 17, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, there's coming a time when God will condemn the world. We know that that day is coming. But when he came the first time as a baby through the Virgin Mary, he came with a specific purpose to die on that cross for you and I, for the sin of the whole entire planet. Anybody who's ever lived or will live, he paid the price once and for all. That was his purpose. That was his mission. He came to restore a bride for his father. That's what he came for. And notice in verse 6 that Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You might want to underline the word net because I want to share something with you that's really interesting. I believe that Jesus said net very specifically to remind Peter and the disciples about something that happened in the past. And a kind of a tongue-in-cheek statement. So what was this event? Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. You're going, to get a, you're going to see something here that's very interesting. And remember what Jesus just said to them. He says, cast out the net. And I believe it was tongue-in-cheek. And I also believe that was an indicator for the disciples to know who it was that was speaking on the shore that they couldn't see. Because guess what? He was 300 feet from shore when he said this. A football field, 100 yards. Think of that. Can you see somebody on the, on the, other, on the goal from one goal to the other clearly? And he says, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And I bet one of them is going, oh boy, I remember this. Because early in Jesus' ministry, early and Luke chapter 5 encapsulates it. It says, so it was, and this is a separate instance, okay? This is not the same thing. So it was as the multitude pressed him about, uh, uh, pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out the boat from the land a little bit. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat, which is a great thing to do honestly because when you're out in the water when you're out on the galley and i know this firsthand you can be out there and you can hear people talking on the shore it's, it's like a natural amphitheater because there's mountains all around it's like the sound you, you could be several feet away and hear exactly what they're saying and so jesus did this obviously because he knew he had command over nature he knew what he was doing he could have stayed on the shore but he's like you know what there's a lot of people here i'm going to back out into the water and i've got my own natural amplifier here so i'm going to use it so he got into one of the boats, which was Simon, and when he, had stopped, uh, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, and here it is, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Underline or circle that word nets. Let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, come on, we have toiled all night and we've caught nothing. We've caught nothing, but nevertheless, you know, at your word, I guess we'll let down the net. Underline or circle that word. So Jesus tells them to throw out the nets, and Peter's like, oh, whatever, I'll just throw out the net. Singular. Right? You can see Peter's reluctance. After all, Peter was a fisherman. I don't know if you knew that. Peter knew what he was doing. He was a seasoned fisherman. He knew the Galilee. He could tell when the wind is coming up. Well, we better start heading to the land. There's going to be a nasty storm here. He knew all about this fishing business. Jesus, just leave this to me. I've, got, I've been on this water for a long time. I don't know where you came. You live down in Jerusalem or, you know, Nazareth, you know, whatever. You know, I've got this under control. And little did he remember that Jesus... Is the one who created it. The creator of all things. The very water, the very boat that he's sitting in. He created that and the water. He knew the properties of the water. He established those things 
long ago, before it was even created, before. And so, and he who commanded the animals to board the ark of Noah's day was able to draw fish to those nets. But Peter dropped over what? How many nets? One net. He dropped over one net. And then, uh, notice in verse 6 there in Luke 5, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and now their net was breaking. If they would have just let down the nets, plural, it's very possible that their single net would not have suffered damage, but because of their reluctance to obey Jesus, they're still going to get the big catch, but they're, they're going to have damage in their net because of their disobedience. And see, there's times when the Lord might ask you to do something that defies your logic or experience. Be willing to obey and see what the Lord does in and through you. Yes, to do something that's out of the box. As long as it won't violate his word. But sometimes we have to be challenged because we are pretty smart people. But the breaking of the net could have been avoided by their obedience. Instead of just throwing out the net. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats, and they came and they helped them. And, um, and Jesus, in, in verse 10, he says, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so when he had brought their boats to land, they, all for, they forsook all and they followed Jesus. And why is that a big deal? Because as Jesus is telling them on the shore, I believe, again, tongue-in-cheek, he says, Hey, you catch anything? And remember, this event that we're looking at in Luke 5 happened in the beginning of his ministry. And now he says, hey, throw out the net on the right side of the boat. And they didn't argue with him this time. They did it, and they had a great thing of fish. I think that was a tongue-in-cheek expression because one of those fishermen probably recognized, hey, you know what, I remember this before. Too bad he didn't say, throw out your nets. We would have had even more fish. But they did obey this time. They learned a lesson. And so verse 9, Then as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. And, they, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon went up and dragged the net to the land, uh, full of large fish, 153. And, all, and although there were so many, notice the net was not broken, because they actually did what Jesus said. Throw the net on the other side. Yeah, just one single net, guys. Not nets. Just do what I tell you to do. And so they did. And the net wasn't broken this time. It's interesting how obedience is attached to even physical blessings. Right? When we obey God, there are blessings for obedience. And it's not up to us for the outcome. We just be obedient. If he tells me to go speak to somebody, Lord, help me to do that. Because there's a reason for it. That person may have woke up that morning and said, and I've heard this story before, where somebody has said, you know what, God? There's been people that have been at the point of suicide, and, and, and they would say, if somebody, if you don't intervene and do something today, God, I'm going to go home this night, and I'm going to pull the trigger. And that very day, some Christian gets an inkling from the Lord. Hey, go speak to that man. Oh, I don't want to. Okay, I'll go. And then you go over to them and you say, you know what, I don't know why this is, but God wanted me to come speak to you and just tell you that he loves you. And then to see that person's countenance fall and be completely blown away. No pun intended. <laughs> completely blown away. And all it took was me listening and being obedient, and now that man is a, a believer in Christ because he believed and God heard. And God heard the cry of his heart. And God knew that that man would have followed through on his promise. And so God puts it upon my heart to go share with him. And, I mean, it didn't happen to me, but, but if it happens to you, don't, don't hold back. What have you got to lose? You've got nothing to lose. So some have tried to make a big deal of this 153 fishes, and I'm not going to make a big deal. I think it was just 153 fish. It's really that simple. Notice verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of them dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Again, there was something about his resurrection body. But Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And notice Jesus here serving them. Again, being an example to them that they might be an example to others. And so now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now let's look at verses 15 through 17. 
We know that Peter denied the Lord three times, and now three times Peter is going to say to Jesus that he loves him. And Jesus, uh, he's going to say he loved him, yet due to the meaning of the word love, it's clear that Peter was still growing in his love and devotion to the Lord, and the Lord was still at work in him. Remember, he denied him three times, and now three times here he's going to tell Jesus that he loves him. But even in that, we're going to see that there's still room for growth, and we'll look at that. But let's look at it and read it. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed means to feed the members of the church spiritually. He was basically saying, Peter, you're going to be a leader now. I want you to be a leader, and I want you to feed my lambs. In other words, feed my people, feed them spiritually, tell them the truth, give them the gospel. Share with them the truths that I've shared with you. And so Jesus said to him again the second time, verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. Tend them, govern them like a shepherd does a a, a sheepfold. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We believe that it was after the events of this chapter that Jesus gave them what we call the Great Commission. And so Jesus would first restore Peter back into service and, and, and then the other 11 as well. And this is what we're going, this is what we are to be doing as well. To be following the Lord and following that great commission. See, our commission from the Lord is not to convert people to a political party. but bringing them into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And understand this, that when the Lord changes our hearts, everything else will change as well. Our worldview and our convictions are all going to change based on the Spirit of God who's in us. You don't have to worry about all of that. You get them to Christ and he takes care of the rest. The truth becomes evident and you will follow the truth. And certainly pray and and stand up against the evil. Pray and stand up against those things. Push back against those powers of evil that are trying to tear away our freedoms and our constitutional rights. But let's make sure that we do the main thing. And that is to be fishers of men. To Jesus. Not to a political party. I don't care what party you're from. If you're a Christian, praise the Lord. That's the main thing, folks. That's the main thing. Notice in verse 17 here, though, we've got to look at this a little closer now. He said to him the third time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved, notice. And why was Peter grieved? Why was he grieved? Well, the only way to really show this is to show you something, and that is to look at these verses. Now, I want to show you something because in those three verses, 15, 16, and 17, everything that you see in purple uh, up here, like when, in, the, in verse 15, when Jesus said, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the other men here? Do you love me more than this fish, these fish that you have here? Don't know what he was speaking about there completely, but he says, do you love me more than these? But the word he used for love was agapeo, which is a, the highest form of love in the Greek language. You and I know in context what love is based on the context of our conversation. If I say I love God, you know that I'm talking about the supreme love. If I say I love my wife, you know that that is pretty close, but underneath. And if I say that I love my, you know, my guitar, I don't know, I'm picking something, you know that it's a different kind of love. You follow me? Well, that's in the Greek language, that's the case. And that's why Peter was grieved, because notice, everything that you see in purple was Jesus speaking, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me in a a benevolent sense, a self-sacrificing way, the highest form of love that there is? And Peter responds back in verse 15, you'll see it in yellow there, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, but the word is phileo, which is a friendly kind of love it's a it's an acquaintance it's a love but it's not quite as high as agapeo you know i love you and he said to him the second time simon do you agapeo me do you love me in that highest regard peter and he said to them yes lord you know that i phileo you 
you know that I love you in a friendly sense. And he said to him the third time, Simon, do you phileo me? Do you know why Peter was grieved? Because Jesus was prompting him, do you really love me, Peter, in, in the highest? Am I the highest and the best in your life? And Peter's like, Lord, I, I, I love you. I, I'm not quite there yet. Remember just a few days ago, about a week or so ago, I, uh, I was denying you. I'm moving up the chain here. I'm, I love you. I phileo you, but I'm not quite there yet. But then when Jesus said in verse 17, notice it. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And what does that do to Peter? It just melts his heart because they're, they're playing a word game here. And it's not that Jesus was upset with Peter. He knew exactly where he was at. He wasn't upset with him. But he's like, Peter, do you phileo me? And he said, Lord, and, uh, and he was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Do you love me? Not in the highest, but even just down below, do you, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And what I believe is so wonderful about these verses and the underlying Greek meaning of the word love is that Jesus is going to meet Peter right where he's at and he won't browbeat him. He's not going to beat on him. He's not going to belittle him. Jesus will continue to encourage Peter in this love for Jesus and Jesus would use him even though Peter was not perfect. He was going to allow him to be a leader and yet his love for Christ was still forming and I don't know about you, but that encourages me because my love for Christ is forming. It's not quite where it should be. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, I can talk the talk all I want, but God knows the reality. And I'm learning more of the reality based on experience of how much I really love him. And honestly, I don't know where I'm at completely. There are days where I feel like I could say, Lord, I agape you. <laughs> and there's other days I'm like, oh, not sure I know who you are. And aren't you glad that God didn't browbeat Peter? See, Jesus doesn't use perfect people because he can't find any. He's the only perfect person. So I qualify for the kingdom of God because I'm imperfect, but my God is perfect, and in him I've become perfected and ultimately will be perfected. I won't be like him. I'll be similar to him, but I won't be God, but I will be like him. Isn't that wonderful news? I love what it says in the Psalms. It's kind of a, a self-esteem breaker, but so be it. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. And here's the answer that is replied back. They've all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Oh, that's exciting. I think Peter can relate to that. I think I can relate to that. So if God can have this dialogue with Peter and expose really where his love really is, and yet God would say, now feed my sheep, Peter. I still want you to be a leader, and you work with that, and I'll work in you and continue to work in you. And see, he does the same thing with us, folks. He's not mad at you. I don't care where you go. If somebody says, well, God's just angry at you, you can say, you know what? He's taken his anger and his judgment upon Christ at the cross. He doesn't need to be angry with me. I can grieve him, there's no doubt, but he's not angry with me. He knows I'm a work in progress. He knows these things. And I love what it says in Isaiah 42. One of my favorite verses. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed. You ever seen a reed alongside the shoreline of like Lake you know, Ontario or on Canandaigua Lake? Those reeds that grow up and it's kind of broken and kind of bruised. He's not going to... Um, he's not going to break that bruised reed. He's going to tilt it back up again. That it, it might be. He's going to put a splint in it, you know, and make sure that it gets the it, it recovers and heals. And a smoking flax. It's smoking. It's smoking. It's not on fire, but he's not going to quench it. He's going to rather put more fuel on the fire to have it grow into a big flame. See, that's the we have. We have to have. Lord, what happened to us? What happened to me? What happened to us? And I'm not saying that you specifically, but if the shoe fits, we need to wear it. Where is my heart? Where is the fire? Has it gone out in my heart? Am I no longer willing to share anymore? Am I just content on waiting for the rapture? 
You can do that. And God still loves you, and you're still going up. But folks, we're missing. We're missing what he wanted us to do. We're missing the great commission. It's the only commission he's given us, and it's a great commission. It's a wonderful commission. It's the most important message on the planet. No greater message than the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to be out doing it. That's why this summer, pray that, we, that the Lord gives us more direction and wisdom because we want to plan an outreach in our, in, our, in our community here in the neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. We want to go out, talk to them again. We've done it a couple times, a couple years in a row. We want to go out two by two, door to door, just love on people, give them Bibles, invite them to come to a picnic and eat and give them whatever they want, you know, and just love on them. Ask them if you can pray for them. We've got to be about that again, folks. And it can't just be something that we do only on a certain day of the year when the church calendar. No, it has to be something that's got to be an attitude of our heart all year round. Are we willing to be inconvenienced to share the truth with somebody? Because see, that's what real love is all about. And that's what discipleship is all about. So let's continue. I, I'm going to keep you a little bit longer today. And I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize. It's just... Um, we're going to get through this chapter. We're almost at the end, so bear with me here. But notice, now we're going to see the prophecy of Peter's death. He said, Most assuredly, Jesus says to Peter, I say to you that when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And what does that sound like to you? It's exactly what you think it is. Jesus stretched out his hands. It can only mean one thing, the crucifixion. You are going to be crucified, Peter. When you are older, it's going to happen. You'll stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death he will glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, church history tells us that Peter was crucified. Peter and Paul actually were crucified, or actually Paul was beheaded. But Peter was crucified in Rome under Nero. Nero was the worst he was one of the most wicked, godless men that ever graced the halls of the Vatican. This guy was the most wicked. Even historians say this man, he killed his family members. I mean, with no remorse. I mean, this guy was just evil to the bone. But according to Eusebius, uh, a historian, a church father in uh, book 2, chapter 25 of Ecclesiastical History, he said this, he says, According to the best evidence, and especially of that of modern archaeology, Peter was crucified on Vatican Hill, where Nero's circus was. Now, it's not a circus with Ferris wheels and stuff like that. Whatever he did, I'm sure it was uh, not the circus that you and I are thinking of. But where the, people, the persecution took place, his remains were said to have been buried in the catacombs of San Sebastiano in 285 A.D., but to have been transferred in the 4th century to the Basilica of St. Peter, which stood on the site of the present Basilica on the Vatican. And according to at least one apocryphal work in the late 2nd century, and you've heard this before, and this is where it comes from. It's from a, an apocryphal work, and this is just a, we have to take the apocrypha very carefully. You know, in some Catholic Bibles, you'll see right in the center, they have a section called the Apocrypha, which is hidden books, basically. That's what the word means, hidden. And they're not part of the canon, and for good reason, because they're spurious. They're not all um, truth and accurate. And so there's a lot of problems with many of them, okay? Now, this is one of those things. It's an apocryphal book in the late uh, second century, somewhere around 180 to 190, called the Acts of Peter. But I want to read to you, because you've heard this before from this pulpit, from Pastor Jeff many years ago, that there was a, um, a, a church tradition that Peter was hung upside down on the cross. And it's possible but it's not conclusive. But this is where we get it from, and it's from the Acts of Peter, and it says this. In the account of the death of Peter in the Acts of Peter, he approaches the place of execution and gives a speech to the people and the cross. And he concludes by saying, and this is the quote, this is what Peter supposedly had said. Okay, We have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's very possible. And this is what he said. He spoke to himself in the third person. It says, but it is time for you, Peter, to surrender your body to those who are taking it. So take it, 
And then, you whose duty, whose duty it is, and I request you, therefore, executioners, to crucify me head downwards in this way and no other. End quote. So Peter gives a final speech while upside down on the cross, and then he dies. And so we believe, through that work and through church tradition, that that's the way Peter ultimately died. And it certainly corroborates with what, at least what Jesus said about him spreading forth his hands. Whether he was upside down or not, we don't know any of that. It's possible. But notice then Peter turning around saw the disciples, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also, notice this, underline this in your Bible, in, cha- in verse 20, who also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Who was that person? We know that, right, from John chapter 13. It was John the Apostle. He was the one. So Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also had leaned on his breast at dinner, saying, Lord, who who is it that would betray you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? You told me that I'm going to be crucified, but what about John? What's going to happen to him? Is he going to get hit by a truck? How's he going to (laughs) die? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about what I've got planned for him. My plan for him is different, John, or Peter, or John, yeah, Peter. My plan is different for him. But that's no, don't worry about what I've got planned for him. You follow me. See, even the disciples were thinking horizontally instead of vertically. See, we're not that much different, right? We always tend to think like this and not so much like this, and that's where my problem is most of the time. I begin to compare myself with each, each of you, and then, you know, and, and, and is that really the right thing to do? And Peter rebuked him. He said, or Jesus rebuked uh, Peter and says, don't worry about what I got with John. And it's kind of ironic that John died natural causes. He's the only one of the disciples who didn't die a horrific, a horrific death. All the others were martyred, killed, crucified, thrown off the pinnacle of the temple of the temple, and then beaten in the head with a club until they died. James, the Lord's brother, was killed like that. So then this saying went out from among the brethren that this disciple, speaking of John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? And so this chapter actually is going to help quell some rumors that were starting to float around about, well, Jesus said that, you know, he, and, and, and John is nipping that in the bud right now, and he says, no, that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant. So enough with the rumors. <laughs> That's what he's basically saying. And then finally to finish up. This is the disciple who testifies these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Who is this disciple who testifies of these things? We saw it in verse 20. And, this is the, and we know that his testimony is true. So between this verse and verse 20... This gives definitive proof that the author of the, who the author is of this account. It's John the Apostle. Now that may not mean like, be like a big deal to all of you. Most of you just take it at face value that John's the author of the gospel. But as you begin to read, there are always people, highfalutin people, some of them not so, will try to bamboozle you and say, well, the gospels, you know, the... Um, I've studied the manuscripts. I've looked at them under a microscope. And I have found that John is not the author of this gospel. And yet the Bible says that he is. So I've got a decision to make. I'm either going to believe the word of God or I'm going to believe some guy in an ivory tower who talks like Thurston Howell. Yes, at Yale. In Oxford. Nothing wrong with those schools. If anybody's gone to those schools, I don't mean to pick at you. I went to an Ivy League school too. But God has changed my heart. And I count his word higher than anything else. And I pray that you do too. I pray that you come 
with me as well to just love the word of God. Love the word of God and love Love the peace that the Word of God brings when you read it and when you just simply believe it and then you actually act upon it. There's no greater thing in this entire world. Can you, I mean, putting your head down on the pillow at night and knowing that you did the right thing today. And even if you didn't do the right thing, to say, Lord, I know I've did some things today that I really regret. Would you forgive me? He says, I forgive you. And you're like, oh. Now you can rest your head on your pillow and you sleep like a baby and you wake up the next day, and you're ready to get at it again, and he's with you. He is with you, and he loves you. He loves you, and he's never going to quit you. Did he quit Peter, the man who denied him three times? Did he, did he hang up on Peter? Did he you know, hang up on him and stop texting him because he said, Lord, I phileo you. I don't agapeo you. I, I kind of I like you, but you know, I'm just not quite there yet. Did Jesus say, well, I'm blocking you. I'm blocking you on my iPhone. No. He's like, all right, we're, we're making progress. You used to deny me. Now you like me a little bit better. And before, Peter, it won't be long and you'll be completely consumed by me. So much so that you'll even allow yourself to be crucified. And we don't know if this is true or not, but some believe that Peter may have requested to be upside down because he didn't want to die the same. He didn't feel like he was worthy to die in the same way. We don't know if that's really true or not. There's really no evidence of that, but it's very possible. It sounds like something Peter would do. He's so impetuous. No, wait, wait. And cruci- you know, executioners, don't hang me like Jesus, but flip me 180 degrees. Just spin me like, you know, just flip me. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my king. And that folks, guess what that is? Agape. He was willing to give up everything and he never once renounced Jesus. He said, now I agape you, Lord. And he didn't have to boast about it. He didn't have to boast about it because the proof of it was him on the cross. And as he was dying on the cross, upside down, we believe, he's still preaching until he died. I don't know about you, but that's pretty cool. I'm not sure that that's the way I want to go out, though. I'm thinking like an entire cheesecake. I had a really large cheesecake, and, 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 and the, the fat in the cheesecake just seizes me up like an engine on a cold day with no oil. I'd rather go that way. But you know what? We don't have to worry about those things. Those are in God's hands. Will you submit your heart to him again afresh today? Will you give your heart to him even more than when you came in today? Would you be willing to respond to the great commission that we've been reading today and be encouraged by the restoration of a man who denied Jesus and now is the leader? Jesus would give him the keys. Would you be willing with me to make the determination today. And you don't have to make any promises. There's no promises. I'm just asking you to pray about how we go from here. How do we go from here? What do we do from this day onward, church? Because we need to be about our Father's business. That is the highest and the greatest calling in any of your vocations. Within your vocations, within your jobs, you can do all those things and do it rightly, do it respectfully, do it at a time when you've got spare time. You be good about it. Honor your employer, but share the truth of Christ. And let's not cease to share that good news. Because again, that's what this gospel is all about. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. If there are anyone here this morning that has not given their heart to Christ, would you please, after the service, come up. I'd love to pray with you. Today is the day. It's not tomorrow. And folks, for those of us who, saints, let's commit our hearts to Christ again. And let's ask him to give us boldness and to give us hearts 
that really hurt for the the hurting and the lost that are all around us a lot of people so let's stand and I'm just going to pray the prayer and if you agree with me agree with me in prayer if you don't that's okay but Father, we come before you tonight, this morning, excuse me. We come before you, Lord. We recognize, Lord, there are many things in our life that are keeping us from experiencing your best, Lord. Some of these things we've placed upon ourselves. Some of these are fear. Some of these things are just, we can blame it on our personality. But Lord, the truth of the matter is, Lord, would you give us, Lord, just the heart to speak with our mouths, in fact, Lord, how could we not speak when you have delivered us from so great a death? An eternal death, Lord, you've delivered us. And Lord, with that excitement, God, with that truth, Lord, may it set us on fire again. Lord, may you ignite the fire in me. May you ignite the fire in my brothers and sisters as well, Lord. Do with us as you will, Lord. And thank you for this gospel, Lord. It has truly changed my life. And I pray that it would change the life of everyone here. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we look forward to your soon return. And it's in your precious name, the name above all names. In Jesus' name we pray.